Hello, listeners. It's Kate, and I'm here to introduce the following podcast. This week, we are posting a rerun of one of our favorite podcasts titled George Lucasing, Yes Men, and Flanderization. The podcast has been edited for clarity and has been updated with a few creative touches. We really enjoyed recording this one and hope you enjoy listening to it if you haven't already. We will be back next week with our regularly scheduled new episode. So until then, please enjoy tonight's episode of Girls' Night. From Tyler in France, this is Girls' Night. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm your host, Tabby. Tonight, we talk about, uh, rant about, George Lucasing as an active verb, the problem with yes-men, and flanderization. So grab a beverage. It's time for a night in. So we need wine for this podcast. I need wine anytime we broach this subject. I want to point out we're drinking out of stemless wine glasses because of a previous accident in the studio. <laughs> there was red wine involved. My carpet will never forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are going to talk about George Lucasing. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple things. We want to talk about George Lucasing, we want to talk about the phenomenon of yes-manning, and we want to talk about flanderization. But yes. we're going to start with George Lucasing, and I'd like to submit a definition that I created personally today. Okay. All right. And that definition is when you take something perfect and you keep adding to it the subsequent additions rendering the original art imperfect. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And if I could add a little asterisk. Yes. Little uh, subline. And then make it impossible for people to consume said original piece of artwork. No. Well, yes, but you can still watch the original trilogy. Yes, you can. It's so hard. I own it. You own the original trilogy on DVD? Yes. Unedited? Yes. Where did you get it? It came with it. It was like both options. You can watch the original or the 1997 remaster. Okay, but you it's the remastered version. It's not the original original. Because you can't find that anywhere. Well, there's the original theatrical release... On one DVD, and then the other DVD is the really? 1997 remaster, and you that can pick what you want to watch. When did you buy that? I don't know. I don't actually own it. It's my friend JP's. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> I got to talk to JP about that, because yeah. he and I have discussed the fact that for many, many years that there, after... 1997. 1997. You could not buy... For clarity for people listening, um, <laughs> we're just going to dive right yeah. in here. The 1997 special release, special edition release of Star Wars... Um, went in and just added a bunch of shit. Yeah, it, it's literally George it took the Lucas original movie and then just added stuff. Got the ability to add CG to his movies and just went ham. And it's so unnecessary. And it is one of the biggest fan complaints because it's just... Well, I mean, the CGI additions are like subtle annoying rub it in your nose like look what i can do things but like the story changes are really kind of crazy too well the story changes are annoying the it's just nothing he added to it was an addition nothing that's not true though nothing subtle changes that were kind of cool like adding sparks to boba fett's jetpack okay but that's effective remastering (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about like 
objects and creatures and things oh, yeah, that were like, added. Like Tatooine. Like Tatooine. Tatooine's a perfect example where George Lucas as a director and a cinematographer and a creative visionary, you can see it purely in the Tatooine scenes because he takes full advantage of this alien environment that he's shooting in and you have these beautiful striking landscapes that just show how isolated Luke is because of how vast Tatooine is you know compared to the crowded cityscapes we're gonna see later right in Cloud City and Coruscant and everything Mm -hmm. instead he's he's alone it's the wilderness it's alien and instead in 1997 he adds a bunch of CG crap to it just making it this cluttered dense scene <laughs> that just absolutely right how many things can we fit into a frame it I, like takes away from everything i don't need a bunch of cg aliens I to mean, remind me that it's awards that they won absolutely yeah. absolutely and just his creative vision and his skill the 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 real admirable part about star wars is how much they did on such a tiny budget mm-hmm. with pure skill and ingenuity and smart editing on behalf of George Lucas's wife at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, asterisk C documentary. How editing saved Star Wars. Yeah. Queen. It's the it's maybe 20 minutes long on YouTube and it's a fantastic mini documentary. The people who put it together really show that you need lots of people collaborating creatively to give each other creative criticism and come out with this beautiful piece of artwork and it's thanks to um you know all the people around George who really said hey man you need to change these things and then this story is going to be great and that's how we got the Star Wars we all know and love um, unfortunately, you know, he went back in with the CGI, but he also went in and changed story aspects. Right. And I, I think one of the biggest ones is the whole Han shot first controversy. It's not even a controversy. It's like, obviously, we all know Han shot first, but he changed it in the 1997 re-release to have Greedo shoot first. And this is in that scene in the cantina in the first movie. It's his first introduction and changing it from being Han to Greedo shooting first completely undermines Han's story arc. Right, right, because you kind of cement him in the original trilogy as an anti-hero that evolves into a hero by the third film. He is the cowboy you find in the saloon who against his better judgment gets involved in this you know like absolutely gonna fail scenario out of the goodness of his heart because underneath it all there's some goodness but in the beginning he's supposed to be a jerk he's supposed to be selfish and he's supposed to be kind of bad and that's he doesn't even give Greedo the chance to shoot him right right but I guess that George Lucas wanted to make him less of a villain um, but that's why you've got Darth Vader. <laughs> no one looks like a villain next to him, <laughs> except the Emperor. It's true. Something. Oh, something else that really, really, forever bothers me is Cy Snoodles. Uh, that's the lead singer of the Max Rebo band, and in the Return of the Jedi, 
in that scene with like Jabba the Hutt. While Ula is dancing, dancing for her life. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Max Rebel Band is singing and um Sice Noodles was a puppet. Jim Henson puppet in the beginning. Was it a Jim Henson puppet? All those puppets are Jim Henson puppets. <gasps> oh wow, okay. So Sice Noodles was a puppet, but in this re release, nineteen ninety seven re release, Sice Noodles is now a CGI. And the song is completely different. And I just want to say that if puppets are dated, CGI older than, like, a year is really dated. Really dated, and it's another one of those story changes. It doesn't seem significant until you realize that Ula doesn't have dialogue. Mm. So you need to be connected with her. So you need to have... You can't cut away from her. You have to be kind of transfixed by her predicament. Right. And when you're cutting away to this hugely distracting CGI creature with a longer song sequence. Yes. Because it's longer. It it's is. It's several it is. seconds longer. Which, no, it's, it's like a minute longer. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't even sure. But it's yeah. much longer. And so you're disconnected from her fate. I know. And it, you know, dehumanizes one of like three women in the series. Oh, yeah. But they did add now footage of her not necessarily being murdered by but <laughs> down in the pit oh yay yeah, yeah. There you go. um and then the other big one is they added a reaction to darth vader throwing palpatine palpatine down the chasm in the third film no. it's just no no I gotta ask. Yeah. <laughs> why did George Lucas decide that that's gonna be Anakin Skywalker's catchphrase? Because he says no at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And <laughs> apparently, again, at Return of the Jedi. But it doesn't make any sense. Him quietly contemplating the fact that everything he's done in his last 20 years has been a complete waste because he killed his master. That's so much more poignant. Yes. Than Than being told how you're supposed to feel. Yes. Yeah. It's Star Wars. It's already pretty clear. (laughs) So. So. I hope that gives a very clear definition (laughs) as to what George Lucasing is as an active verb. Put it in the Webster's Dictionary. Um, As well as our deep feelings on the matter. (laughs) Of the re-release of Star Wars. Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about other artists who have George, George lucas their work. Yes, because there are many. Now, George Lucasing is effectively just retconning, right? Retconning or tweaking or, you know, just not leaving alone the original well, like, art retcon- Retconning is like when you make contributions to the original story. Well, I would argue that retconning is going back and changing something and thus negating something in the original. Right. Okay. Um, and so he does do that, uh, you know, a couple by, for example, with Han Solo. That's mm-hmm. a retcon. Yes. Um, as opposed to the other things are just kind of additions. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there are a lot of creators who do retcon while they George Lucas. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. We talked about her before, yeah. Here we are. First of all, I want to say, Joe, you made my childhood wonderful and magical, but you can stop now. Please stop. Stop making it magical. I don't want your magic anymore. I mean, we already already talked about the poop thing you did. 
<laughs> we literally mean poop. Like you said, wizards used to just make their poop disappear. But uh, there's other stuff that happened that was very interesting. Um, I mean, there's the elephant in the room. Oh, obviously, the Dumbledore's gay thing. Yeah. Which, as a queer woman, I'm absolutely there for representation in one of my favorite book series. But tossing it in there, just arbitrarily, with absolutely no evidence in the text. Right, right. It seems like weak activism. It is, especially Mm -hmm. since her subsequent writing, you know, and the Fantastic Beasts pieces and movies are all, there's no evidence supporting the fact that he's gay. Right. Like, she has an opportunity. Well, now there is. Now she's retconned that he and Grindelwald had a very sexual relationship. Okay, but there's no text for it. <laughs> right, of course, of course, I'm just You saying. can tweet as much as you want, Joe, but if you don't put your money where your <laughs> mouth is, I'm not gonna believe you. <laughs> well, there's now a whole new film on it, so thanks. <laughs> is there? Is well, it in the well, film? Yeah, the... It's implied, I guess. I don't know. Is it she implied? says it in the special releases. <laughs> is this no, no, my it's point? Never, it's, it's never even implied. No. It's never no, addressed. She just says it. Yes, and that's yeah. my problem. Is she says a whole lot, especially with that blue bird of hers. Well, but and here's the other thing. It's like, um, remember when in the Cursed Child they made Hermione black? Yes, which, which is cool. Which is so cool. Yeah, I mean, you can take any character you want and represent them however you want. But the point is, she tried to retcon that Hermione was black the whole time. Yeah, and it's like, well. First of all, you always kind of drew her as a white girl. And I mean, does... she literally actually drew her as a white girl and the drawing that... she did for Harry Potter. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that she needs to always be a white girl. That doesn't mean that she needs to be portrayed by a white girl because I think her being portrayed by a black woman is fantastic because I'm sure there are lots of black girls that saw themselves in Hermione and Absolutely. to actually see it is fantastic. But to pretend like that was the plan all along... Is a little dumb. Well, again, it comes down to the weak activism. Exactly. It's like she's adding diversity. Because she realized she in, didn't have any in, in the first post. place. Exactly. Right. And it's it's kind of insulting in the a long run. Bit, because it's like, know? okay, you believe in our cause. You believe yeah. that, you know, minorities need greater uh, diver- uh, diverse representation. Just make a new story with diverse representation. Or, you know... I don't know, like you, especially with you adding more stories to this universe, Mm -hmm. why not make Newt Scamander a black man? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why not make these characters diverse in the first place? Yeah. You know, instead of adding, you know, just adding to things that are already said and done. If you're going to keep doing this, you're going to keep revisiting this universe, then make it a more diverse place. Well, here's a new one. (laughs) And I just saw this today. But Nagini is now Naga, uh-huh. like a species. Yes. Yeah. And I I don't know enough about this subject to talk about it knowledgeably, but I do, I am going to look into this and I suggest our audience do as well, but apparently there's some like South Asian groups that are super opposed to that. Well, it's the same thing that happened when she put out the whole um, Ilvermorny thing. Oh, and how Native, Native American groups felt like she was just kind of capitalizing. Absolutely. And in that subject, I'm a little bit more educated. Um, but she she basically came in and was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to make it this thing. And mm-hmm. had no education 
of her own on the matter or if she did she just decided not to use it mm-hmm. and that is really insulting and it's just one of those things where it's like you could do so well you've already done so well mm-hmm. why dig this hole you mm-hmm. don't need to well we can get into jk rowling retconning you know left and right but we can also get into the whole yes man concept and how yes manning these great creators is ruining franchises as well absolutely and we can pull it right back around to star wars and go star wars episode one two and three and show how that was just yes manned into the ground there's all the behind the scene features on the dvds for the prequels Mm. are so educational (laughs) because (laughs) you literally see george lucas say things and everyone in the room just nod and smile. Yeah, and then yeah, they'll yeah. cut away to these people who go, well, you know, I didn't think it was a great idea at the time, but it's George. So I just kind of right. supported it. And it's like, no, but if you had told him that real human beings don't talk like Anakin and Padme do in that moment, <laughs> maybe we would have had a believable love story. Maybe if his first wife were there to be like, uh-uh, no, George. No, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah, like, it, it's... And, you know, he talks so much about how the prequels were so staffed by fans, but I think a lot of them were fans who were so excited to work on a Star Wars movie that they didn't say no Mm. to anything. And you've just got, you know... You got episode one, two, and three. Yeah, you've got dialogue (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. You've got CG out the butt. You've got, you know, just terrible chemistry and dialogue. And, you know, and you have this very complicated, very deep universe that is not being portrayed in a way that adds any value to it. Which is what we're saying George Lucasing is. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if your additions don't make it richer, don't add. (laughs) It's like the birdcage. (laughs) Don't add, just subtract. (laughs) Just subtract, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to live by, though. It's like... You, you create this thing, and now you just start taking away. You know what I mean? <laughs> or just or just leave it alone. You've just decorated hang it a on room. the wall. <laughs> now take 20 things out of it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or let someone else live in that room. Let's get back on track here. We were talking about Yes Men. And <laughs> this is going to be two hours long. <laughs> one, I know, because we have feelings. And we're drinking. Um, we should have drank for every podcast. <laughs> But anyway, um, our beverage is usually tea. (laughs) I know. We're so old. We have to work in the morning. Tabby has to work in the morning. Um, So one, two, and three are a consequence of yes men. Other things that are consequences of yes men mentality. uh, It's the... The sequel to The Phantom of the Opera. Oh my God. Love never dies. Somebody tell Andrew Lloyd never no. Just tell him no. Just somebody needs to be around to tell him no. All right. Andrew Lloyd... I can't say his name. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Thanks, God. <laughs> no more. Next. Um, um, Indiana Jones. Oh, my God. That's another... But that's George Lucas. George Lucas. Because in the behind the scenes... Okay, I have a thing for behind the scenes featurettes. I really love them. Mm. Um, Steven Spielberg's literally like... I don't know. I thought it was a dumb idea, but I just couldn't tell George no. And I'm like, what kind of hypnotism does this man have that <laughs> Steven motherfucking Spielberg couldn't say no to a dumb idea. Right? He's Steven Spielberg. 
He's Spielberg. When you think of a director, you think of Spielberg, him. Spielberg, yeah, and he wouldn't tell and George And he couldn't Lucas, tell no. George Lucas, no, aliens are dumb in, jo- in Indiana Jones. Don't I mean, do this. This is, the, this is the series that had Hitler in, I don't know, the, the Lost Ark and, like, God and all this strange stuff happening. And still, aliens were just too much. They were too much. It was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and you made John Hurt pointless yeah and he's so great and you wasted john hurt (laughs) um some other yes men thing um oh oh my god peter jackson and (sighs) we're going there we're going in we're going in all right all right all right the hobbit sucked i'm just gonna say it i hated Um, the hobbit i hated everything about it except for riddles in the dark and the costuming was beautiful um and the casting was great. This is the thing that bugs me, is it's like he had all the right puzzle pieces, but then he kept adding pieces from other puzzles. We already told you, take away. Stop it. Yeah. Like, <sighs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings Okay. is a masterpiece. I love it. In written form and the cinematic trilogy. Mm-hmm. There is a reason that Return of the King broke the records set by Lawrence of Arabia. It is cinematic genius. I love The Return of the King. It's a it's a fantastic film that somehow manages to wrap up just so much. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I sobbed. It, I it, still sob. It's it's you can't not have feelings watching that movie. Oh my God. Watching all three of them. Like if you don't get teary when they're coming out of Moria, and they think that Gandalf is dead. I mean, arguably he is, but you know what I mean. Um, and Elijah Wood as Frodo looks up, and he his magnificent blue eyes are just welled with tears. Oh my God, and yes. everyone is exhausted, and Aragorn's trying to urge everyone on, and Sean when Bean's Formir's a moment for pity's sake. It's beautiful. It is. And that's because it's real. Because it's in a real place. And because those actors had gone through some real shit, and they're wearing real costumes, and they're just feeling it, and I it was... I want to tell you a story. Please tell me a story. So, my nieces would come... Back when I was... God, back when I was in college, and I was living at my parents' house, my mom would pick up my nieces after school, and they would come stay at my parents' house until their parents came and picked them up after work. Mm-hmm. And so, my niece and I watched the entire trilogy, and I have the Blu-ray Sin Edition four hours each. You know, Mm -hmm. so we're talking like 16 plus hours of footage here. My niece and I would watch chunks of that movie at a time after school for, we pulled it off for weeks. Mm -hmm. For just weeks, we were watching that together. And at the end of the last movie, I turned and I looked at her. And at the time, she must have been eight years old. And tears are just streaming oh. down her face. And she's experiencing things she's never experienced. And I look at her and she's yeah. just feeling it. Right? You know, she's just feeling it. And she, I feel like this is a very valuable part of her childhood. And I'll have to ask her when she's older. <laughs> when she's getting married, you'll be like, hey, how important to you was that? Because <laughs> it was important to me. Us doing that together was great. I have 
kind of a similar situation. Yeah. My dad would read the books to me in kind of a similar way. Oh. Every night, my dad would read to me a part of The Lord of the Rings after The Hobbit. And I loved The Hobbit as a little kid. Yeah. But there was something about The Lord of the Rings that seemed so real yeah. as a book. And then I watched the movies. And I was in middle school when Fellowship came out. And high school for Towers and Return. And I saw Towers. Oh my god. With my own money. Oh more than god. I've seen any other movie. And this is a movie that its cinematic release was three and a half hours long. Yeah. I saw it in theaters eight times. Yeah. With my own, because I was working at my stepmom's salon. Um, shout out to La Mom, best mom ever, uh, washing hair. And I would go down toward, to the theater that was in the same plaza and watch that movie. And I saw it in theaters eight times. And Two Towers was just, it's perfect. It touches an emotional center in yes. every person. Yes. And then he makes The Hobbit. And we were so, so thrilled because we were like, I he, wanted Riddles in the Dark so badly. I wanted to see that scene. In, in, in its totality. Because you get a glimpse of it in, um, in yeah, Fellowship, I think. Yeah, yeah. But you wanted to see the whole thing. Yeah. And when you think about the cast that was presented to us, Benedict Cumberbatch being smog. smog. Yeah. Um, and then Mar 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 Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. Martin so Freeman. So good as Bilbo. He's perfect Bilbo. I love him as Bilbo. Yeah. Lee Pace, wonderful Thrandall. Sure. But what the hell, Orlando Bloom? You know, my dad called me after we saw the first or second Hobbit. Yeah. And said, you know, when you were like 14 or 15, you said, hey, how great would it be if they made a Hobbit movie and Orlando Bloom was like at the Battle of the Five Armies as Legolas, as just wow. a cameo. And I was like, I said that? And he's like, you did. <laughs> and I'm like, I take it back. <laughs> because, first of all, Orlando Bloom doesn't look like Legolas anymore. Orlando Bloom looks like Will Turner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is fine, because Will Turner's a great look for oh Orlando Bloom. Oh my god, talk about another series. But, oh, we're even... gonna get to it. Yeah. We're gonna get to it. What are you doing, Jerry Bruckmeier, Bruckheimer? Um, but, you know, Orlando Bloom did not need to be in this movie to that extent. He could have been a fun cameo where we were all like, Hey, there's our guy! Instead, we got three movies of racist Legolas. <laughs> oh, my God. Because we get it. You hate dwarves. Move on. Yeah. And then me, Miss, I need strong female characters. And I love Evangeline Lilly. I want to just say that. She's a great person. Follow her on social media. She follows all the right, you know, activist programs. And she's awesome. Love her to death. She's great as Wasp. She, her, Toriel was awful. Not even, no, she wasn't awful. The storyline Toriel was given was awful. Right. Of course. Of course. Because The Hobbit did not need to happen the way it did. It didn't. It no, didn't. First of all, it. it did not need to be three movies. No, I hate that. It could have been two. Yeah. Could have been two. Because I, I will agree there's enough content for two movies. Yeah, definitely. But just... We don't care. Like, if you want to tie the Silmarillion into it, just make the Silmarillion. No, Sauron did not need to be a facet of that. Yeah. It's another one of those... It didn't need to read as a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. It is a separate journey where, sure. by chance, they happen upon the One Ring. Well, I mean, there are there are definitely, like, moments in The Hobbit where they refer to trouble brewing. Yes, but that could have been but an illusion. You don't yeah. need to punch me in the face with no. it. 
No, absolutely not. See, I know that Amazon bought the Lord of the Rings, but I wish they would just redo Hobbit. Well, I I thought they bought the Silmarillion. I thought they were doing the Lord of the Rings. Oh, God, I hope not the Lord of the Rings. That's dumb. I have no idea. I have no I idea. I just remember hearing about the Lord of the Rings on Amazon. If they bought the Silmarillion, it'd be really bizarre. I don't know how they're going to make that into a movie. I'd love to see it. I would love to see it because... I love the Silmarillion. And then I'd love to hate on it. <laughs> no! I because would love... the book is... I haven't finished it yet because it's very difficult to read. It's the Bible. Yeah. It's Fantasy World Bible. Yeah. Old Testament it's Fantasy really World difficult, Bible. But the 100 pages I have read, I want to say, are some of the most beautiful literary descriptions I've ever read ever. The problem is it's... Tolkien just absolutely getting into being very good at beautiful literary descriptions. Right. And um, it's a lot of description and a lot of exposition and not a lot of plot. Right. No, it's not a lot of plot. Because yeah. it's meant to be the, the Old Testament of Middle Earth. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. so, um, but, you know, um, I bet it could be a cool story, uh, in, like movie-wise. I don't know if it's going to happen. But, but yeah, yeah, I have no idea what Amazon bought. To be honest, I thought it was Lord of the Rings. Anyway, <laughs> um, moving on. Anything else we want to add? Oh yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's another like nightmare of yes man nonsense. I remember um watching. Remember Movie Ninja or something? It was a YouTube series back when YouTube was in its infancy, oh, and he was a guy dressed as a ninja. And God, he would get I can't movie... believe you've seen that. Like, oh I yeah, love the quote he said. The only man cast in all of those films was Keira Knightley. Yes! Yes! I'm speaking exactly about that one. Yeah. We almost high-fived and then both realized it was too loud for the mic. Um, that YouTube video. It was so funny. It is so funny. Yeah. And it's fantastic. I haven't watched it in a good, like, five years. So I have no idea. It's probably aged really poorly. But I remember that line being fantastic. Yes. Um... And then the other line was, it's like they took five scripts, loaded them into a shotgun, and then shot them at a wall, and that's what they made this movie. And I was like, that is the perfect description of Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Yeah. But here's a real mindfuck. Huh. There's five Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I think there's going to be another. I, there is. They've yeah. already greenlit it, uh, greenlit it, and yeah. it does not have Johnny Depp in it. What? I know. Um, I'm okay with that because I realized while I was watching Pirates 5, I've outgrown Jack Sparrow. I didn't okay. think I could, but I have. Yeah. And that's a thing because, you know, bringing it back to Lord of the Rings real briefly, you know, you start your love affair with Legolas mm -hmm. and then when you're no longer scared of men, you, you <sighs> become attracted to Aragorn, Aragorn and Aemir yeah. and, mm. you know, and you move on and that's fine. Um, but I realized that somewhere along the line... I went from being into Jack Sparrow to Kira Knightley, and that's fine. <laughs> Same. Same. And I didn't need Jack Sparrow in that movie because my favorite part was the three seconds of Kira Knightley at the end of it. <laughs> that was everybody's favorite part. Oh my god! It, it's it's rough, man. It, that, it, first of all, I'm just gonna come out and say Pirates of the Caribbean Five is a terrible movie. Four is made tolerable by what's-her-face. God, what's her name? Yeah, I didn't see the movie. Whatever. The point is it's gone on too long. Too many yes-men. Whatever. What are the Yeah, it's yes literally just Disney just being like, yep, yep, yep. Um, mm -hmm. You know what else didn't uh, need to happen? 
<laughs> publishing the To Kill a Mockingbird sequel. Yeah, exactly. That did not need to happen. That was very annoying. I'm sure Hyper Lee is Harper Lee is just rolling. Yeah, not not happy. Um, the last thing we had to talk about was flanderization. Yes. And that's when, and I think it kind of happened in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, um, that's but, what happened to Jack Sparrow. Yes, but flanderization, by definition, is when a character basically becomes a caricature of themselves. The perfect example is, let's say, Peter Griffin starts out as, like, a good-hearted family man who Homer is... Homer Simpson. He's kind of like ulti- Homer Simpson. Yeah, kind of like Homer Simpson. Good, good-hearted family man who's kind of dumb who by the end of this series is an absolute buffoon and jerk. Yeah. He's mean. He's no longer kind-hearted. He's yeah. downright mean, which is why I find Family Guy uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't like it. No, not, I know. Not I the same it. way I like the Simpsons. No, but that's um, a but it's, it's like a perfect example. I the definition comes from Ned Flanders who started out as like the antithesis of Homer Simpson as just like this kind of Good. Church-going, good guy, but he became so overly religious. neighbor, and, yeah, yeah. That now he's a caricature, and that's absolutely what happened in Pirates. And I think that's really where I outgrew Jack. Is mm. in the first movie, he is complicated. He has this mysterious past. Mm. He's an anti-hero, but he's got a good heart. Maybe you know there are questions. There's sure, yeah, gray areas. There's depth. Yeah. By the fifth movie, he's Nothing more than Johnny Depp faux drunkenly staggering around and saying non sequiturs. And it's frustrating. It's like, well, this is not the character I loved when I was 17. And it's not just because I'm not 17 anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you also kind of get it in, and I hate to defame your most beloved franchise, (laughs) but... uh, Captain Kirk and Star Wars. I mean, Star Trek. Oh, my whoa, God. Whoa, yeah, no, whoa, whoa. Sh- it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I corrected myself. Uh, Captain Kirk and Star Trek. We have been drinking. Yeah, I know. Uh, he just kind of becomes very Kirk. Well, yeah, at the end um, of season three of the original series, he's very much the caricature. And... Um, but that's, there's so much wrong with that series at the end yeah. <laughs> that I don't know if we can pin it all on that. But no. he's definitely, you know. But what's he, another good example of somebody becoming a caricature of themselves? Well, I would say Daryl Dixon. And I know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's rough because I love him. He's my favorite character from The Walking Dead. But um, I think post halfway through season five, they just completely didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. And um, they just kind of gave him this awful caricature of being this gruff, you know, grunting only, no words, I'm lone wolf with my crossbow and that's all I do. And they just didn't know what to do with this wildly popular character. They couldn't kill him off, so they just kind of made him this caricature of himself, which is real rough. And one of the many reasons stopped watching the show. What's another one? Uh, FX's show, Archer. Archer. Perfect. Perfect. Like, every character at this point. Every single character, yeah. It's real sad because... I mean, Archer was kind of like this complicated... I mean, complicated was the only redeeming factor. Yeah, because he's awful, but when he's drunk enough to tell you how he loves all of the people in his life and, you know, he wants to be a good person for Lana and blah, 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 you're like, oh, but now he's 
kind of just what he appears. Yeah, I mean, they're all just really deep in their characters at this point. Yeah. Um, Flanderization is just something that happens once something's been around long enough. And we have a lot of that. Yeah. We really do. Oh, um, Scully on the X-Files. I didn't watch the X-Files. Uh, that sucks. Um, yeah. yeah, she does that. So it's, it's a little frustrating near the end. She's just this weird, you know, puppet Scully, but it's yeah. okay. Uh, that's, it's, it's, it is once you kind of just don't know what to do with the character anymore, they have to fill their role. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you kind of, it's a waste. It's a creative waste. And I think that's what this whole thing is about is when you spend creative yeah let's bring it full circle when you take creative energy and waste it on either messing with something that's already perfect creating things but not being surrounded by people who will give you constructive criticism or being a person who will listen to constructive criticism Mm -hmm. because that's what's necessary to refine your art Mm -hmm. or being unwilling to end something or leave a character alone so you then beat them into this awful caricature of what they once were and now they are essentially valueless. Yeah. And so those are three things that we hate. It's a waste of creative energy. Uh, And now that we've ranted for like 40-something minutes, uh, I want to tie it around and say thank you to anybody who's listening. Yes. We love you and we want to hear from you. And if you want to be featured on any of our episodes, give us a shout out at Tyler and France on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear any of your criticism. Any uh, We are open to constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. We want to refine our art. And we yes. absolutely want to hear from you. Any suggestions that you have. Um, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.